Listener Production. A quick disclaimer before we get started. Although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. All the content and information discussed in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Remember, always consult your doctor before making any decisions about your health. From the tantalising scenes in movies to those seductive advertisements, sex in media is often portrayed as a seamless, pleasure-filled ride with a guaranteed happy ending. You are amazing. (laughs) That was amazing. But let's face it, this glossy depiction hardly scratches the surface of the real sexual experiences many women face. If I were to ask a room full of 10 women to raise their hands if they've ever experienced pain during sex, you'd be astonished. Seven hands would undoubtedly shoot up in the air. That's right, seven hands. Believe it or not, a whopping 75% of women encounter pain during sex at some point in their lives. And yet, you'd be hard-pressed to find this accurately portrayed on our screens. I haven't had sex for seven weeks. The only time we see characters discussing pain during sex is when the narrative stumbles into those well-worn clichés like losing your V-card or the ill-conceived concept of popping your cherry. Hey, have fun popping your cherry. Uh, Which, to set the record straight, isn't quite the accurate depiction either. But I digress. So, if you are experiencing pain during sex, what us doctors call dyspareunia, what is going on? Ladies, let me introduce you to the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor is like the underappreciated backstage crew of your pelvis. It's a complex network of muscles and tissues that forms a protective barrier at the base of your pelvis. Some liken it to a supportive hammock gracefully spanning from your pubic bone to your tailbone, or perhaps envision it as a dazzling diamond gracefully extending along the sides of your pelvis. Oh, that's Beautiful. This multifaceted ensemble plays a pivotal role in your pleasure, your bathroom visits, and even your posture. When it comes to sex, discomfort in this region often calls for a crash course in female anatomy. You see, when a person is not sexually aroused, certain muscles in the vagina and pelvic floor are somewhat tense. However, when sexual stimulation occurs, a natural substance called nitric oxide is released which helps these muscles relax. This delightful chemical helps these muscles to ease up and let loose, ushering in a rush of blood into the clitoral area, ultimately leading to an increase in pressure and, ta-da, your clitoris takes centre stage, ready for an encore performance. So, how's the big O coming? Ah, the clitoris. I know you know where your clitoris is, but if your partner needs directions, it's in your best interest to give them a map doctor's orders. Surprisingly, this whole pelvic massage thing has been around for ages without anyone thinking it was remotely sexy. Back in the late 1800s to early 1900s, doctors would whip out early electronic vibrators to give pelvic massages to treat something they called female hysteria. Heard it before? What a load of crap. Basically, this was the go-to diagnosis for any woman who complained of unexplainable symptoms. The treatment? The induction of hysterical paroxysm, a.k.a. an orgasm. How convenient. We actually have so-called female hysteria to thank for the modern vibrator. 
There are many ways to relax the pelvic floor besides stimulation. My favourite, Kegel exercises. Put on your favourite track with a BPM, beats per minute, of around 169 and clench and release to the rhythm. In and out and in and out and in and out. See, there you go. But what if the Kegels aren't Kegeling? What if the stimulation isn't working? Enter vaginismus. It's a condition where the muscles surrounding the vaginal opening spasm randomly and it impacts 1 in 10 women. It can happen during sex, in anticipation of penetration and even in completely non-sexual situations. It's both an emotional and physiological pain response. Silver lining? For most individuals, vaginismus is highly treatable. But here's the kicker. Vaginismus and the pelvic floor are just a couple of the puzzle pieces in the grand mosaic of why women might experience pain during sex. So, if pain during sex has you avoiding the bedroom altogether, what's going on? Is pain just something we have to accept? And what can be done to reduce, or dare I say, eliminate pain altogether? Hi, I'm Dr. Snei Wadwani, Women's Health GP and Advocate, and this is everything from A to V, the podcast separating the fact from the fiction when it comes to women's health. Here, we'll answer some of the most common questions I get asked by women just like you, and we'll debunk a few myths along the way too. But we were discussing matters of the vagina, Bruce, not the heart. In today's episode, I chat with Hannah Topp, a pelvic floor physiotherapist who specializes in strengthening the pelvic floor and finding the joy in sex again. So Hannah, so good to have you here. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks for having me. Um, So my name is Hannah. I'm a physiotherapist and I specialize in women's health. So pelvic floor dysfunction, pregnancy, menopause, leaking, all of that. So the pelvic floor is this system of muscles and ligaments around the pelvis of which the vagina is part, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a supportive structure that holds everything up and together. Mm. Am I right? Absolutely. And you've got The pelvic floor, the muscles go from the pubic bone to the tailbone and act like a hammock and they support the internal pelvic organs. So the bladder, bowel and uterus. Then we also have a fascial uh, component that helps hold those organs up as well. The pelvic floor, yes, it is is a group of muscles, but it's responsible for so much in our body. So contracting to keep us continent, relaxing to help open our bowels, helps with sexual pleasure as well. The pelvic floor needs to be able to relax during sex. So when that pelvic floor can't relax, that's when a lot of girls and women will experience pain during sex because the pelvic floor muscles just cannot relax and let go. When is pain not normal? Or actually, I'd like to flip that around. Mm-hmm. Is pain ever normal? I don't believe so, no. I agree. Yeah, pain is not normal during sex. For lots of women, sex can go through phases and, and it might vary from you know, something going on in their life to also from partner to partner, right? And sometimes it can be painful and sometimes it's not painful. So what are the other causes of painful sex in that space? There can be a few potential causes and it's important to understand why this pain is here. So pain with sex doesn't present the same way every time. It can be completely different to anyone experiencing it. Women can feel it at the entrance of their vagina, so it can feel quite superficial, it can feel dry, 
feel like there's not enough lubricant, but then you can feel it quite deep as well. And that's quite common with women with endometriosis or any sort of chronic pelvic pain conditions is they feel it quite deep. You've got other things like vulval skin conditions that can cause pain, endometriosis, vaginal or C-section delivery, abdominal surgery, bowel dysfunction, prolapse. The list all goes these on. Are, yeah, right? all these things. Yeah, absolutely. And issue of abuse or trauma. I think that's a really, really big one. There's a connection between the brain and our pelvis that we hold that tension inside the pelvis and therefore the muscles can feel quite tight. And then there's just that fear and expectation that it's going to be painful, even though there's nothing physiologically wrong. Some women can go for years without having painful intercourse and then they're premenopausal or they've just had a baby and there's hormone changes in the body. And that's it's quite common for them to come in to me at the clinic and say, it hurts when I have sex. And, you know, I start questioning them and they're like, oh yeah, my period stopped six months ago. And I was like, okay, do you have any estrogen? Are you on any hormones? I often recommend them to go to their GP to get some topical estrogen cream because that might be all they need to help them have painless sex. I think you make a really good point there. And even for the postpartum women, so the women who've just had a baby, a short dose of a bit of estrogen cream down there if they are having pain because of dryness in the vagina can really work wonders. So it's a really useful tool. I think it's also really important to understand where the pain's coming from, isn't Mm. it? Because you talked a bit there about women who are perimenopausal or postnatal and the hormonal effects of that. And often around that time, it's that drop in estrogen Mm -hmm. that makes the lining of the vagina a little bit drier. So there's less lubrication and all of that. And that's what can cause intercourse to be painful. But at other times, for example, when we talk about trauma and when you've talked also about psychological issues, Mm -hmm. it's the pelvic floor muscles and ligaments that tighten up and cause pain and difficulty relaxing when Mm -hmm. someone's trying to have sex. So it's really important to kind of differentiate which of those things it is. And also Mm -hmm. with endometriosis, like that pain is often quite deep inside the lower pelvis or abdomen, isn't it? Absolutely. They, They feel it quite differently. Yeah. Pain with sex doesn't present the same way every time. It can be completely different to anyone experiencing it. Women can feel it at the entrance of their vagina, so it can feel quite superficial, it can feel dry, feel like there's not enough lubricant, but then you can feel it quite deep as well. And that's quite common with women with endometriosis or any sort of chronic pelvic pain conditions is they feel it quite deep. So we've talked a bit about sort of treatment options when we've identified what the cause of the pain is. But I think it's more than that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. They need to be able to communicate with their partner and, and often I think foreplay is underplayed. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's really important when we're thinking yep. about relaxing pelvic floor mm-hmm. muscles and all of that. How do you deal with that when you, when you see patients in your clinic? I, you know, I get quite close and personal with them. I, ask, <laughs> <laughs> I like literally tell them, like ask them to tell me what they do. What do they do before they have sex? Is there enough foreplay? And I talk about how to do more. As you mentioned, communication is quite important with a partner as well because if there's no communication there and they're doing five minutes of kissing and then just getting into it, well, then who's going to be ready for that? They might feel a bit embarrassed that they need to say, hey, we need to do a bit more foreplay. But I think it's really important to open that communication, even just encourage the openness to say, I'm getting some pain. We need to do this differently. And don't be afraid to explore that. I think that's for years, it's always been a taboo topic 
And I think it's really important to explore the ways foreplay works with one another. There's no shame around that. If it's vibrators or toys, then go for it. If it's what's going to get you, I guess, in the mood and aroused, then why not if it's going to stop with the painful sex? And I think even during sexual intercourse as well, it's important to communicate with their partners. Then tell them when it's sore. Try different positions. A lot of times it can be a positional thing that women will get pain in and they'll come back a week later and they're like, oh yeah, that worked. Like, you know, putting a pillow under my back did help. So I think it's really opening that communication channel and then giving them different strategies of things to try as well. Foreplay is really important because it's not just getting us in the mood, but Mm. it actually prepares the vaginal and the pelvic floor tissues, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it helps the pelvic floor to relax. It helps the vagina to lubricate. So actually without these these actions, Mm. this foreplay... The, the vagina isn't really that ready to have intercourse. That's exactly right. And I think even just reminding people to use lube. There's not like, <laughs> use it. There's nothing wrong with using it. And I feel like there's this thing where women just think, oh, I, I shouldn't have to use lube. Well, there's nothing wrong with using it. And if you're allergic to it, there's water-based ones, there's coconut oil, there's everything. Yeah. So, Although coconut yeah. oil has its own issues, right? Yes. So we'll not, yes, go, down we'll not go down there. But yeah. <laughs> And I think ultimately, right, our bodies change. So mm-hmm. when we're in our, and our libido changes and our ease of arousal also changes. Mm-hmm. So when we're in our, you know, late teens and 20s, it's easier to get in the mood. It's mm. easier to switch it on, you might mm. say. But the, you know, the longer our relationships, the older we get, the hormonal changes that happen, perhaps we've had children and our identities changed a little bit as women all of these things actually or or even just busy work lives Mm. right it all affects how we feel and how easy it is to have intercourse in Mm. that space absolutely and I think you know I mean I've even noticed those changes and I'm only 29 and you know in in the past like I've had long-term relationships where at the start you have sex a lot and it's fun and it's the best and then you get to your second or third year and you're like what's happened? Like, what's, what's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong. You just get busy. Like, things change. You get you get comfortable in a relationship. I think for long-term relationships, I think not having that, you know, sexual relationship and intimacy can be quite a hard thing on the relationship and it can put a lot of stress on the relationship. And I think that's where communication comes back to it. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about vaginismus, right? Yeah. So vaginismus is kind of this condition. For those of you who don't know what vaginismus is, it's a painful condition associated with having sex, but also, you know, can be even being touched in your genital area. It can be that also. And it's it's where there is no apparent anatomical or physical cause for the pain, but it's certainly a sensation that a, a woman will experience. Yes, they get a lot of pelvic floor contraction, Mm. the muscles are tight. But there's also this hypersensory effect, isn't Mm. there? It's almost as if the brain is is kind of playing tricks a little bit Mm. and and saying, you know, you're feeling pain in that area Mm. uh, and it becomes hypersensitive. Mm -hmm. And I know certainly when I see patients with this condition, it is a really multidisciplinary approach. So, Mm. you know, having a pelvic floor physio assess and, and understand what's happening with the pelvic floor muscles and the vaginal muscles... Um, Also having that background in their psychological history, understanding their mental health and maybe even referring them on if if they need that. But also there are medications that can help. 
So there are some topical preparations for vaginismus, which include drugs like amitriptyline and oestrogen, actually, that work really well in this space uh, and avoid the, pe- the patient from having to take something mm. orally. I think often there is this, you know, sort of view that vaginismus is this thing that you're kind of stuck with. Mm. And if you're not making headway with a pelvic floor physio or a psychologist, there's nothing else. But there Mm. are actually some really useful medications Mm. in that space. Absolutely. I mean, look, it's very common. So I have seen quite a bit of it in the clinic. And I think understanding someone's history is a big part of what we do, as well as that subjective history as well is, you know, a pelvic floor physio can really help with the physical stuff. We might do some what we call like mirror imagery where we literally just go through photos of like pelvises and vaginas and some women will look at a pelvis or a vagina and feel pain themselves. So it's about desensitizing that area just through looking at pictures. And then, you know, with physical touch, there's other things we can use like dilators, which can help with painful intercourse, especially with vaginismus. But you've got to go quite slow. It's not something that's going to be fixed in a few treatments, unfortunately. But there is things that can be done and there is treatment out there. Absolutely. Are there any lifestyle changes or particular exercises or, you know, should they be doing Pilates? Should they be doing yoga? You know, what's what's the best thing for people to be doing who are concerned about having, you know, painful sex um, that might reduce or alleviate some of those um, symptoms. There's a lot of research coming out lately about yoga for pelvic pain, which is quite, it has been quite interesting to read actually. So any sort of yoga that focuses on breathing and relaxing through the hips and the lower back, the hips and lower back can be related to our pelvic floor a lot of the time. So if there's persistent pelvic pain, then the chances are they're going to have some hip pain and low back pain. And it's all about relaxing through that area and calming down the nervous system. So yeah, yoga can be a great exercise for that as well. And learning how to breathe properly, learning to belly breathe, you know, looking after the mental health as well as a big thing, meditation and really looking after yourself that way. And even just sleep hygiene as well. How is someone sleeping and do they have a stressful job? Are they doing things to look after themselves mentally as well as physically? So There's no right or wrong exercise. Any exercise is good exercise as long as they enjoy it and if they're feeling the benefits of it. But in terms of pelvic pain and painful intercourse, yoga, hip stretches would be my go-to. So kegels, (laughs) pelvic floor exercises, right? So I've heard on the grapevine from some of my patients (laughs) that you're meant to do them at a frequency to staying alive. You know, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) <laughs> staying alive, staying alive. Is that true? <laughs> I can't say I've ever heard that before. <laughs> I mean, I've only I mean, used that tune to do CPR. Yeah, but that's um, what I know that tune from, CPR, right? So um, kegels, are they good? Yeah. Uh, how frequently should you do them? You know, what are the risks of doing them too much, doing them too little? Does everyone need to do them? Look, not everyone needs to do them for starters. We spoke before about having a hypertonic pelvic floor or a tight pelvic floor that sits higher in the pelvis. If someone does have a hypertonic floor, chances are they're not going to be able to squeeze their pelvic floor to contract it. So for that person, pelvic floor exercises or Kegels is not going to be good for them. They need to learn to relax and downtrain the pelvic floor. So there's a time and place for pelvic floor exercises. Some people don't have to do them. 
But then some people do have to do them if they're experiencing other symptoms like leaking. So no John Travolta in this. No, no, I wouldn't. I would not think there's a song to do pelvic floor exercises to. Although if anyone does have a song they do them to, please let me know because I'd be very interested in hearing that. <laughs> Fantastic. It is yeah. interesting, though, because all our mums and grandmas, <laughs> you know, they often say, don't you forget to do your pelvic floor, don't they? And and it's become one of these things that's kind of on the radar the whole mm-hmm. time. And I do wonder, you know, if women are just so hyper aware of it that they're doing perhaps, you know, more than they need to. I think so. And you often hear that as well. Like, you know, women come to the clinic all the time and they go, oh, yeah, I spent my whole pregnancy doing my pelvic floor exercises. And then I'm like, did you really need to do that? And um, I think that's the thing. It's it's so, they have that perception that they need to be doing pelvic floor exercises all the time, but it's not the be all and end all. The thing is a lot of women don't do a pelvic floor exercise correctly, pelvic floor contraction, I should say. Like, you know, they'll come into the clinic and I'll assess them and I say, show me your best pelvic floor contraction. And then they actually push down, which is the complete opposite that we want to do. So I think, yes, pelvic floor exercises are good, but they need to be done properly. If people aren't doing them properly, then they need to get assessed to make sure they are doing them properly because that could lead to other health conditions like pelvic floor dysfunction down the line. So so how do women know if they're doing pelvic floor exercises or pelvic floor contractions properly? Is there something they can do themselves to check? What I recommend to my patients is literally feel for yourself. Stick your fingers in your vagina. Do what you think is a pelvic floor exercise. What they should feel is like a gather around the entrance of the vagina and then a lift. So a cue that I often tell my patients is think of it as if you're in a room full of people and you've got a fart, but you need to hold that fart in, okay? You want to squeeze around your anus. It's the best thing I use, okay? Such, so you've so, got to hold your fart, hold your fart to staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> got <Yep>. it? <laughs> hold it. Don't let it go. But yes, don't overhold it. We don't, want to, we don't want to lead to any other pelvic floor dysfunction. Fantastic. So, you know, how can health professionals like you, like me, best support women who present with pain during sex? I'm asking this question because Mm. for our listeners, they need to know kind of what to expect. I mean, so many of them will go to, you know, pluck up the courage, go and see a doctor or go and see, you know, a nurse or or someone in that space Mm. and finally offload, you know, this burden of information that they've Mm. been carrying and and they confess to these symptoms and they can get dismissed, right? Mm. So what should they be expecting? What should they hear from that clinician on the other end of that consultation? I think they need to feel heard and they need to feel acknowledged painful intercourse, it is dismissed so often, but what these women are experiencing is valid and it shouldn't be dismissed as much as it is. And I think these women need to leave these consultations with their healthcare professionals feeling heard and justified with some advice of what to do. And that advice, like if they see a GP and the GP is unsure, then they should be recommending, okay, go see this person. And I think that's why it's so important as healthcare professionals to have that network in place for when someone does come in with these types of concerns. So they can be like, look, this is not my area, but I know this wonderful women's health GP or I know this women's health physio you can go see. It should be, I don't know this area, but here's someone to go see. I think also it's really important that they get that assessment, isn't Mm. it? So too often, I certainly see patients quite often who've been around the houses, they've seen a few doctors, don't Mm. feel like they've got anywhere, but their expectations have been quite low in Mm. that space primarily because they don't know what to expect. Absolutely. But I think, you know, certainly a a woman who presents to me 
in with these symptoms should expect an assessment, you know, Absolutely. an examination. Mm. Um, and, and like you say, if that doctor, that nurse doesn't know, isn't familiar with this area, they should be able to refer to somebody mm who can and who does. Mm. But the assessment is really important, isn't it? And, Absolutely. And a, a really detailed menstrual and obstetric history, mm-hmm. you know, so we actually understand, and the psychological history, so we really understand where this pain is, mm. when it happens, and what it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think physical assessment, I think, is just as important as the history taking as well, even though, you know, it might not happen in the first session, but it needs to happen eventually because we need to see what the tone of their of their pelvic floor muscles is like. Can they relax it? Can they contract it? How well is it moving? And then looking at other parts of their musculoskeletal system. So what's their hips doing? What's their lower back doing? A lot of other musculoskeletal conditions can play a big part in their in the pelvic floor as well. So it's about looking at the whole body, not just the pelvic floor. And are there any resources that you offer the ladies that you see, you know, readily, are there any that they can pick off the internet or off the shelf that help in that space? Um, I recommend the Jean Hales website that has a lot of information on it. But another thing that I do recommend to a lot of my like pelvic pain or like, you know, women that have painful intercourse is like a pelvic wand because that can be quite beneficial in helping release through the pelvic floor. And, you know, so then- you've got to tell us what's a pelvic <laughs> wand. Does it magically make the pain disappear or oh your God, partner disappear. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that be great if we could just magically make our partners disappear sometimes? <laughs> um, right, so pelvic wand, it's like a little curved dildo. <laughs> dildo? Vibrator? <laughs> I guess it is. It's like a little curved shaped like dildo. It's quite thin and it's used to reach the trigger points inside the pelvic floor. Our pelvic floor muscles are like any other muscle in the body. They, there is trigger points in the muscle. A trigger point, for those who don't know, is like that sort of like that good spot when you like hit that spot in your neck and you're like, oh yeah, that's a good massage spot. You get them in your pelvic floor. So pelvic one can help reach those areas to help release those areas as well. That's another good tool that I use. But once again, you want to make sure that you've got an assessment first before going to buy one because it's not going to magically fix the problems. And you know you might need the physio to help you and guide you of how to use this as well. And I, I guess identify where those, mm. the, where the best spot to, to use yeah. that on to help mm. those pelvic floor muscles relax. Yeah, Absolutely. So Hannah, I see a lot of women who are concerned about, you know, whether the size of their partner is going to be a problem. <laughs> is this a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, personally, I think it's all about you know, how relaxed the the woman is, how ready her pelvic floor is, how, you know, how much foreplay there's mm. been and certainly whether they've got hypertonic or relaxed pelvic mm. floor. But I would assume that in that space that, you know, the pelvic floor really does need to be relaxed. Yes, absolutely. And I think it depends on the tone of the pelvic floor. Men who do have a longer penis, is that the right word, longer? I think longer. that's a fine word to use. <laughs> Like a complaint I get with women if their partner is on the larger side is that they get this deep pain when they have sex. And what that could be is if their partner's penis is like touching their cervix, what my advice for that is change a position around with that one there. I think also with that mm. one, especially if women do have endometriosis, mm. often the pain is deep anyway. Exactly. So if the penis is actually quite long in mm. that space, and like you say, is a butting or reaching the cervix, it's going to trigger some of that 
that endo pain as well, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. So I think that's another thing and that's where, you know, that open communication comes in with their partner is they've got to be careful with, one, probably the position and how far they are pushing in because if that endometriosis pain is triggered, it can be quite painful and it can last quite a while as well. In terms of the girth of the penis, that's going to vary woman to woman as well. If their pelvic floor is quite a high tone, regardless of the girth size, it could be quite painful anyway. It's just important we go back to the importance of foreplay, making sure the pelvic floor is ready and there is communication, lube, all of that. And the other thing that comes up quite often Mm -hmm. is certainly I I see it in in women who've got prolapse or who've had a baby. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know what prolapse is or the term is unfamiliar to you, the vagina is essentially a muscular tube. It's not just made out of skin. And what that means is that whilst it is flexible, that means it stretches and contracts over and over again, over a period of time, its elasticity will reduce. And specifically when women have had big babies through vaginal delivery or they've had traumatic deliveries, or there are other factors such as being very overweight, all of these things, or chronic cough from asthma and the like, all of these things can put pressure on the vagina and stop it returning to that flexible space. And when that happens, we get what we call laxity or overstretchiness of the muscle in the vagina, and it can cause the bladder or bowel to tip into that space and cause sometimes a bulge that is felt in the vagina and perhaps the vagina is a little looser and they they worry about using the vagina in intercourse because they worry that it's going to make it worse and we all know that blokes have sometimes have this odd idea that if you know you have sex with your partner too often then the vagina is going to get loose which is a whole heap of rubbish isn't it that is a load a load of rubbish <laughs> that is and your vagina is stretchy it's elastic it will bounce back I guess is the word I could say. I think Um, you're right. And I I think the thing that people forget is the vagina isn't just skin. It it Mm. has muscle in it as well. Absolutely. And and actually the contractions that occur during sex and certainly with orgasm are like doing a workout for your vagina. Absolutely. And, you know, funnily enough, I do get some women as well that feel like almost like muscle soreness the day after having sex because... That's it. If they aren't working out their pelvic floor muscles a lot and they go and have sex and it's really good, then, and you know, you've had multiple orgasms, then one, yay for you. Two, you've given your vagina a workout, like, and those pelvic floor muscles are workouts. So those muscles are contracting. And I think it can be somewhat common to have some type of like pain afterwards and the following day as well. And and certainly, you know, having orgasms and intercourse are both ways to strengthen actually the vaginal muscle mm. in that space. So particularly... You know, there's women who might have a mild prolapse, uh, you know, mild laxity of the vaginal walls, mm. or, you know, they're a few months down the line having had a, a baby, maybe a big baby. They don't have enough prolapse to kind of do anything surgical about. Mm. But but it's a good way, actually, of helping them regain some of that tone in the vagina, isn't it? Absolutely, definitely. Because, I mean, we know that treating a mild grade prolapse is pelvic floor exercises. And I think a good way for women to regain that strength and regain, you know, even that mind-muscle connection of contracting a pelvic floor. Well, Hannah, it's been amazing having you. I think uh, we've we've really thoroughly explored pelvic <laughs> pain there um, from beginning to end. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Pain doesn't have to be an unwelcomed party guest in the bedroom. 
Pain is complex and sexual relationships are complex too. But the solution is often simple with the right support. Sex is an important part of your overall health. So if you're experiencing pain during sex, don't feel ashamed to speak to your GP. Be sure to join us next week for more debunked myths and your health questions answered. This podcast is a listener production hosted by me, Sne Wadwani. Producer is Kelsey Menzies. Executive producer is Todd Stevens with sound design by Kelly Falston. Listener.